Well, they talked about being few in number, but Jesus had 12 disciples, and they didn't have tablets or smartphones or podcasts or the high-speed internet or anything that we have today, GPSs, but they were under the influence of the Holy Spirit, right? And they turned the world upside down. So we're going to talk about tonight turning the world back upside down again. We've been in a season where, you know, the big moniker was, we heard it all over TV, and this is not a, a political sermon tonight, but make America great again. And, and a lot of us sit around and, and, you know, I sound like an old man half the time talking to some of my friends and have, that, you know, they have to cut me off sometimes or I'll cut them off and I'll say, if we, if we keep talking, we could solve all the world's problems. But really in our own strength, we can't. But we're going to talk about something tonight that really can We're going to tap into discipleship. Many of you disciple here tonight already and have been discipled, so some of this will be uh, common knowledge to you. But a lot of people have no idea what it means. I had no idea what it meant until just a few years ago, until someone took me under their wing and started discipling me. But uh, as we've come along in this journey at this church and and, uh, talking with Tom and Eric and, and Mike and everybody else in Alger. Uh, we wanted to talk about this. And, and we're moving into a season where we've been given the 10 get readies. And um, it's time to build an army. And we, we can't do that unless we're being discipled and then making disciples. And, and to the world's, that, that's radical because they do their time maybe if they're lucky on Sunday and that's it. But I've got some statistics here that I'm going to give, and uh, they disturb me deeply, and I'm sure they will you guys as well. And a lot of them, some of them are, are going to be very personal. In America, overdoses. The number of drug overdoses in the United States were 47,000 last year. 47,000. I've personally had a cousin of mine who my my aunt found, I think it was on Christmas Day, dead on the couch of an overdose. A lot of us have known people that have overdosed. It's very painful. And uh, to me, that's unacceptable. I don't want to put up with that any longer. Suicides. Suicide was the 10th leading cause of death for all ages in 2013. There were 41,149 suicides in 2013 in the United States. A rate of 12.6 per 100,000 people was equated to 113 suicides each day, or one every 13 minutes. We all know about that firsthand around here recently, don't we? It's unacceptable, too. We have the answer to the problems. Carriers. Alcohol is the most commonly used addictive substance in the United States. 17.6 million people, or one in every 12 adults, suffer from alcohol abuse or dependence among several million 
more engaged in risky binge drinking patterns that could lead to alcohol problems. Again, we all know someone who struggles with alcohol. A lot of them in our own families. 23.6 million Americans are addicted to drugs. That's one out of every 10 adults isn't addicted to either drugs or alcohol over the age of 12 years old. That's close to the entire population for the state of Texas, which is a country in and of itself. <laughs> this one, about 50% of high school teens in the United States right now are sexually active right now. One out of every two. We haven't done a very good job of showing what real love is. Counterfeit love has crept in in the media and seduced people and made people want to be accepted and they give themselves away. Almost 17.5 million kids each year in the, in the U.S. have fatherless homes. It's our job to father the fatherless, isn't it? Chris, you're very good at that. When you started doing that, all of a sudden, your dad came around. Leaving the secular world behind, let's go into the church. Let's take a good look inside the Church of America today. 83% of Americans say they're Christians, but the Gallup Poll International self-reporting survey indicates that 37% of Americans report that they attend religious services weekly or near weekly, and that was in 2013. They think they're actually self-reporting estimates that are much lower. In a separate study published in the Journal for Scientific Study of Religion found that just 22% of Americans attend services weekly. I believe that lower statistic is probably more reflected in our society today. I want to see that change. And this isn't the only church I've, I've gone to. I've seen a lot of parents with sincere hearts and trying to be great parents. And when, when I'm not talking bad about sports, but when leagues and stuff start, they put this before the very thing. <laughs> before God, the lover of their soul, the very lifeblood that they have, that they even have a family in the first place. A different research showed that more than 2,900 Protestant churchgoers found that while 90% desire to please and honor Jesus in all they do, only 19% personally read the Bible every day. Or 81% that don't, read their, that don't read their Bibles daily. And I would say from what I've seen that it's probably less than that. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, if every Christian who doesn't read their Bible on a consistent basis picked it up and dusted it off all at the same time, we'd have the biggest dust storm in the history of man. This one's shocking. Over 30% of evangelicals believe that there is more than one way to heaven. If they read their Bibles daily, they know that John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Salvation is through Christ alone. It's not a buffet of choices to suit our preferences. 
I'm glad that there's only one way because we know we have it. We don't have to earn it. Eric shared this with me, and, and I didn't see this online, but I went ahead and put this on here. This is disturbing too, but I look back at, you know, when I was in college, it was a chaotic time in my life, all eight years. I'm not a doctor, by the way. Right, Mom? Right, Dad? No, that costs you a lot of money, groceries. 61% of college-age kids abandon their faith at some time during college. Just walk away. Imagine how their parents must feel. I know my mom personally was praying and worrying for me. She could see I was in trouble when I was in college. Thank you. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for being a soldier and contending for me. I wouldn't be here today. Thank you. 2014 survey was commissioned by a nonprofit organization called Proven Men Ministries and conducted by the Barna Group among a nationally representative sample of almost 400 self-identified Christian adult men. The statistics for Christian men between ages 18 and 30 years old are particularly striking. 77% look at pornography at least monthly. 36% view pornography on a daily basis. 36%. And 32% admit to being addicted to pornography. Another 12% think that they may be. I estimate that these figures are probably even higher. Because a good percentage of men are too ashamed to, to fess up and admit that. The statistics for middle-aged men, that's men my age, <laughs> ages 31 to 49, I'm not that old yet, too old for the young adults group, are no less disturbing. 77% again looked at pornography while at work in the past three months. 64% view pornography at least monthly and 18% admit to being addicted to pornography. Another 8% again think that they may be. Even married Christian men are falling prey to pornography and extramarital sexual affairs at alarming rates. 55% look at pornography at least monthly, over half. 35% have had an extramarital affair while they were married. 35%. Lastly, divorce rates inside the church are almost the same as outside the church in the secular society. We need more Jeff and Susan Julians out there, don't we? Equippers. These statistics kind of knock the wind out of me, and they should you too. They also confirm what we already know, that the church is hurting too, and we can't bring healing to a lost world if we're not spiritually healthy in these areas, can we? We can't do it. But I've given some bad news. But if you have bad news, then you have good news. We have the gospel. It set me free. I'm so thankful. The good news is we can head a lot of these statistics off at the pass. 
we can take care of it. We can get spiritually and emotionally healthy as the church through discipleship. Then we can go out to the lost, disciple, and then make disciples too. Because I got good news for everybody. The best days for America are not past us. I don't believe that. Again, if Jesus had 12 disciples and they turned the world upside down, there's more than 12 people here tonight. Thank you. We can turn back the tidal waves of evil. If we'll be all in, kind of like the 10 get ready said, all in. So as we talk about discipleship, we've created kind of a, a need and a hunger. And, and we can all agree that these statistics were really bad. But I want to kind of shift gears for a second. What did Jesus have to say about discipleship? What did he have to say? He commanded it. In the Great Commission, he said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Jesus also said to his disciples in Matthew 4.19, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This was not a consideration, but it was a command. It's easy for us sometimes in our busy world to look at Jesus' commands, I do this, and make them considerations because we're so busy with other things. There's a lot of commands out there besides that too. Forgiving your enemies. Loving those that persecute you. Radical things to the world. But if Jesus said this, if he commanded this, I did some thinking, then there must be a loving motive behind his command. He wouldn't tell me to do something. He's even a, he loves me even more than my mom and dad do, and they put up with a lot of gruff from me. Amen. These guys are troopers. So if we're thinking about discipleship and disciple-making, then it must be pretty good for us in all kinds of facets that are even bigger than, than we can imagine, especially right now. And it's good for us, and it's good for those around us. A few of these are, discipleship holds the body of Christ accountable to each other and promotes growth in equipping to reach that lost world so that we don't have to, to look at these statistics like this. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I, I intentionally disciple with people that are more advanced in certain areas than I am. And I'm not trying to be you know, a spiritual vampire to them, but I want to improve. I meet with Eric. I meet with Tom. I meet with Jeff Julian. I, I still talk to Lynn on the phone. Uh, when I was younger and I was in the bodybuilding, 
I always worked out with guys that were bigger and stronger than me. I worked out with Nate Kovacs. Guy was a colossus. If I could beat him, I was going somewhere. Now I work out with Chris the Killer Hansen. <laughs> he is a killer. But see, Chris, Chris sharpens my, my sword too. Being around other believers in that atmosphere. I appreciate you. I love you, man. I need to spend more time with Mikey. I'm, I'm an evangelist. But see, he's got traits of being an evangelist I can learn from. I need to, need to hang around him more often. You know, start playing guitar or something. So discipleship as you're sharpening iron and iron. All of us. It keeps you on your A game spiritually. You're accountable to those you disciple with, and this prompts expanding of your giftings. It's one of the benefits. An insight on everything and everyone that comes your way. I get taken to a higher level as well when I see those I disciple with overcoming strongholds, defeating the kingdom of darkness, growing closer to the Lord. Like a proud father, I've wept many times. I know Eric has wept sometimes too when, I, when I've called him and said something. One time I was Skyping with, with Lynn and uh, I felt bad for making him get on the phone with me. He just started that church in Iowa and he was so busy. I thought, man, I'm taking him away from what he should be doing. You know, I'm, I'm weighing this guy down. And uh, I told him, I said, I- I'm sorry, I don't, I don't need to take you away from here. If you gotta go, it's okay. I want to I spend time with you, but I want to honor you. He just looked at me. He started crying. I thought, what'd I do? He says, Alex, you'll never get it. He goes, I get so much more out of meeting with you than you'll ever get with meeting with me. And you don't get that, but you will someday. Yep. Later on, when, when he commissioned me to, to finally go to start discipling people, I've gotten calls sometimes even in the middle of the night. And like a proud father, it's sharpened my sword too. I've wept tears of joy. One of the, the sweetest seasons I've ever had is watching some of the guys I disciple to grow and overcome temptation and, and uh, get off strongholds of pornography. Discipling also equips us to face a world dominated by sin. And here's the big thing. It unites the body of Christ as we meet and grow closer to the Father together. And the world watches. They want to watch us be lovingly and uniquely united as this speaks volumes to the lost world who's looking for real authenticity, relevant truth for their lives and not selfish hypocrisy. They don't want to see Christians who know the Bible really well but can't connect with people on a real level and speak truth to them with a heart of compassion and grace. Sometimes we're just... Religious robots. I, I've interviewed people in my travels, you know, going places for work, and a lot of them say the same thing. And Lynn had given me this idea. I asked people, and I just did in Orlando a couple weeks ago too. I said, uh, and I always try to search out these surly-looking gang guys, typically, dreadlocks. You know, gold teeth, tattoo, teared, I mean, rough guys. But I, I ask them, 
do you, do you go to church anywhere, if I may ask? I'm not trying to be weird with you, but I'm just curious. Do you, do you go to church anywhere? Almost 100% of them don't go to church. But when I ask them, how do you feel about Jesus? What's your opinion of Jesus? You know him. Every one of them. I haven't had one yet. They all have a favorable opinion of Jesus. Some, in Orlando even, a guy was almost blowing smoke at me, confessed to loving him. But they all feel that, that the church judges them. They don't feel welcome in the church. And you know what the real problem is? They're not seeing the church lovingly united like we're supposed to be. We call each other brothers and sisters. But sometimes they know we're just as shallow as they are. So why would they want to come in there? Here's some scriptures on, on unity of the body and how we should be as the body of Christ. This is John 17, 21 through 23. And Jesus said this, that they may be one, that they may be one, Father, just as you, and you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That would speak volumes to him. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Philippians 2.1-5, on imitating Christ's humility. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, this is huge, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I think of a lot of these guys that I, I've spoke to on the street. Saw us really like that. Instead of being sometimes critical of each other, offended, when we don't have a right to be. We've allowed an offense to take residence in our heart instead of being forgiving. And we've preferred ourselves because we might be a little tired convicts me instead of helping somebody I think if the world saw the real body of Christ they want to belong to something too most of these guys belong to gangs because they've been abandoned but if they saw the real body of Christ and felt the real love of Christ through his believers these seats wouldn't be empty here tonight even with me speaking I was joking with, with Mike. I've joked with a few of you guys about it. We should do a reality TV series called The Spiritual Dead. We walk around and talk to people, interview them and ask powerful questions like that and then show them the love of Christ. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? This was quoted a while back during a discipleship session that I took notes on, on how the body of Christ had a relevancy in society by the structure of how the unity of the body of Christ had and it was from Acts 2. And it says, 
fellowship of the body of Christ resulted in focusing in on the centrality of Christ, wanting to connect with Christ in the midst of his body of followers assembled and relate to the body of Christ that is pleasing to him. Acknowledge the way that God has fit the body of Christ together. So when I fellowship and disciple, it's a time of discovery, a time of searching, a time of revelation of Christ. Not only to us, but in the midst of us. We can be very cavalier today in the church in America in the intention of fellowship and discipleship sometimes. God wants us to know that Christianity is not just an event of going to heaven. It is a process of experiencing and developing and growing, not only with him, but with those we're going to spend eternity with, each other. I have to challenge myself sometimes. Do I really know those that I'm walking with? Do I really love and know those that I'm relating to? Again, do we seem hypocritical to the world in the way we relate with each other when we put half hugs on each other or run out the door or where are you going to lunch instead of asking powerful questions? God is challenging the church to recover its relevancy by the way we fellowship and disciple to be authentic at relationships to a lost world that makes them want to be in our family because we truly love each other effectively in a way the world cannot counterfeit because God is at the center of it. I was on uh, Bourbon Street one night. That's, that's in the French Quarter in New Orleans for anyone that hasn't been there before. And it is just a really dark, it's gnarly. If you're from my generation, it's, gnar- it's jacked up. You've got bars everywhere, strippers, black magic stores, uh, I- any form of debauchery is right there. And... Uh, Again, I, I, I was just walking, and generally, if, if I want to stay out of trouble, I, I stay away from it. Generally works for me. And I happened to see two guys get about ready to just get into a slugfest. And one, one was, I don't say African-American because we're all Americans. I'm not European-American. It was, a, it was a black guy and a Latino guy. And uh, throwing these racial slurs at each other. And... Uh, God says, I, w- I want you to go break up that fight. <laughs> and there was a, a pit bull right there, too. And he was growling. And I thought, not only am I going to get punched out, I'm gonna also going to get bit by this dog. You know? And so, okay, God, h- how do you want me to do this? Well, I'd just been instructed before I went there, too. Eric had been working with me on working on with people right where they are because he discipled me. Equip me. Lynn had worked with me too on that. Be gentle as a dove, but wise as a serpent, Jesus said to his disciples. So I approached these guys, and, and, and he said, stretch your hands out, smile. With the love of Christ, it'll come out of you. And tell them, I am colorblind. You're both my brothers. So I told him that, and I thought, okay, let's go. And I thought, I'm really gonna get hit hard. I can't even pull my hands up. They're out. Expose myself. But right away, the, the black guy shook his head, put his hands on his hips and said, thank you. And he walked away. Then the, the Latino guy said, what are you, some kind of a pastor or something? I said, I'm in training to be. 
I'm Catholic. That's what he said. He thought I was a priest. I said, well, I'm going down to the cathedral. You want to come with me? Because he's Catholic. He did. Guy bawled his eyes out as soon as he got there. For reasons unknown, the Holy Spirit was on him. And he gave his heart to Christ right there and started shouting out what he was sorry for. I still hear from that guy time and time again via text message. But had I not been equipped, I would have just stayed away from all those guys. My heart wouldn't have been tenderized to go out of my way to talk to him, or I would have been too afraid. But these two guys, too, were looking for somebody authentic, not afraid, but authentic that they, they really loved, that they didn't care what, what color they were. So you're my brother. That happened to, to two more guys that night. I took a, a beeline down this other road and, uh, near the French Quarter and, and talked to a, a bouncer at a bar because I used to be, and I thought he might be bored. And, the, you know, his friends all came up and had marijuana hats on and pants pulled halfway down and, you know, looked like CB4. If you guys are my age, you remember that movie, The Gold Teeth and stuff. But uh, when, when I reached out to those guys and, and put hugs on them, you know, they just loved me back. Two of them committed their, their, their lives back to Christ. I find out that talking to one of them that his grandma used to take him to church, but he didn't have a dad. His mom was probably strung out, but he still remembered the days when his grandma used to take him to church. So moving on, I kind of took a rabbit trail there. For those of you that have not discipled or, or don't know what it is, and, and believe me, I get the question a lot. What is discipleship? How does it look? I mean, you know, how do you, I hear about this, but I know Jesus had disciples. Does, I mean, does this mean I gotta go and leave everything behind and walk away and, you know? We'll go over some definitions here. Webster's Dictionary versus what I've seen and lived. Webster's Dictionary says, a personal follower of Jesus during his life, especially one of the 12 disciples. It also says, a follower or student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. Not bad. But for a practical purpose here today in our world, in the here and now, I like this definition of a disciple. It starts in John 15, 5 through 8. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown to the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. So with that, I like this definition of a disciple, and that was just to set the stage. It is a diligent, disciplined learner, one that is intentionally positioning themselves in relationship, there's a key word, relationship with a teacher, and they're receiving from the heart and the instruction of that teacher. And they're allowing that teacher to impart to them truth shapes and transforms their life. Jesus said that you will know that you're my disciples 
when you begin to produce fruit in your life, and there's a multiplying principle that begins to occur in you as that truth transforms you. So basically, it's saying here that it's not just good enough that, that you're saved, that, that you're starting to see others the way that Jesus sees them, and you're starting to feel deeply about others the way that he feels about them. And so when you see the loss, when you see these statistics, I wept when I looked these up. I wanted to do something about it. We're going to do something about it. But it's not good enough that I'm just going to heaven. We want to produce fruit. If I really prefer you before me, if I have a million dollars, I want you to have two. And so if I have salvation, then I want you to have it. Because I've been set free. So I want you to be free. I found this to be very helpful to those with questions on discipleship. Disciple making is not about a program or an event, but about a relationship again. That's key, a relationship. As you share the gospel, you impart life. And this is the essence of making disciples, sharing the life of Christ. Disciple making involves inviting people into the larger community of faith where they will see the life of Christ in action and experience the love of Christ in person. I'm indebted. I'm indebted to Lynn and Eric, Tom and Jeff and Alger and Mikey, Chris. You guys share your lives with me in the same way Jesus did with his disciples. I gain much from the wisdom that you all impart to me, but even greater is the time sitting with you guys, going places, whether it's in an office talking about life and the ministry. You guys are gracious enough to share again your lives with me and in the process to show me what it means to follow Christ by your example. I love you guys. And one of the best days of my life was when I was told, now go impart into others what I've taught you. What an honor. My personal story, how I, I started to disciple, I, um, my wife and I and Jeff, Julian, and Susan, uh, we, we switched churches and just we felt that we were called to do something and make a move and when God tells you to do something again it's it's not a consideration it's a command but there was a longing in my heart that I just could not stand to see the spiritual wreck that America was becoming and it wasn't just politics and all this stuff but it was deeper than that but uh I, I really felt that I, I was supposed to go to Pendleton and uh, that's when the guerrilla Christianity thing kind of started. And it, it's kind of crazy because uh, I, I was waking up and, and I was seeing, like, I was still half asleep, but I was seeing guerrillas and they were bold and strong and uh, they could clear a path and they were resistant to cold and the elements of, of cold. And, and, uh, but somehow they were, they were saying a truth that people were listening to. And it, but, but it wasn't by force. And so 
Kate and I went to, uh, back then, Wellspring. And uh, it's almost a voice in my ear said, wherever this man speaks on Sunday, be there. And I was weeping already, and I grabbed her hand, and uh, he had said, that's the day that he said, how many times does your own agenda abort the miracles that God is trying to do in your life? And I hadn't felt like I heard from the Lord in over a year. That was powerful. And I went and, and talked to him after service, and I said, do you get this desire that it's time for the Church of America to stand up and take its rightful place, and to take our country back? If greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world, then why are we being pushed around? And he goes, have you been listening to my podcast? I said, what podcast? He said, well, I've been talking about recapturing the church's lost identity and uh, been at New Covenant in here. And next time I go, I want you to come with me and we need to start meeting weekly because something's going on here. And uh, so we, we met every week for up to three hours at a time. And I would run away from work and stay up extra late to get my work done and, and uh, how the discipleship looked with him was I crazy, I, I memorized his sermon when he would preach it, I would take notes and do the podcast and burn CDs and uh, stay up on my little iPhone and make 50,000 grammar mistakes and correct them, it took three hours at a time sometimes but I wanted to see captive set free this nation belongs to the Lord this nation is here. We honor Israel. This nation was meant to bring God glory. Not the trash that it's, it's been standing for. And it's my fault. It's the church's fault. We've sat on our hands for 50 years. So it's time to take it back. So in studying with Lynn, he, he, we were going over Acts a lot, Acts 2. And he said, uh, the book of Acts is called the book of Acts, not the book of good intentions. We need to be a church on the move. So a lot of people also ask, how, okay, I see how you disciple, but you know, how do you do it? I get a lot of questions of people asking that. Not everyone will be as intentional as you or I, but again, we have to meet people in discipleship right where they are and not where we think they should be. We have to work where God is working, and almost everyone is different. The bottom line is discipleship has to be going somewhere, not just meeting to hang out. I mean, it's good, and friendships in the body are formed, and fellowship does grow, but it's a growing together and moving the ball down the field to see fruit produced, to see the lost become saved. That's the end game. There's so many ways to disciple. And a lot of it becomes almost cliche that we think, oh, we're just going to go have a cup of coffee. That's fine. We can. We can all go meet at Cafe Royale and, and study God's word and discuss things and hash it over. I disciple guys in the gym. I didn't even work out there. I just went there because I had an anytime membership. Met some of the young guys in there. I had to meet them where they were. That's where they were. God put them on my heart. I still do that. That's why I'm working out with Chris the Killer Hanson. <laughs> Sometimes I even take car rides out to Westwood. It's, it's really relaxing out there at night. I'll put the guys in the car, 
go grab something to eat and watch them wolf it down, but we'll, we'll read Bible scriptures and pray. They tell me what's going on in their life, and we stack it up against God's word. Struggles that they're having, and it relaxes them to just be in the car taking a ride. Grabbing dinner, you can discuss issues over dinner. We've all done that before. Connie disciples, I think, in the kitchen. Isn't that creative? I need to take some lessons. Right, Kate? I'm not that good of a cook, am I? You can be really creative, too. Um, it, w- when Lynn moved to, to Iowa, um, you know, the guy's not a quitter. And, and I was heartbroken, but I, wanted, I, didn't, I wasn't willing to let that go. So I set up a Skype account. We Skyped. Over the phone, I've got sales reps sometimes for some of the dealers that I manage, and they'll start to realize, you know, that you go to church and they ask questions, and before you know it, they're calling you all the time. And they're discipling. Before you know it, they're calling you, what do you think about this? Should I do this? Should I move in with this girl? No. (laughs) Or they'll call you back and go, I need some help. I did move in. And she (laughs) threw me out. So... But it's long distance. But I I can't tell them no. See, because if I love them, and I do, I have to help them until we can get somebody out there set up with them. In your home. All the time people can, you know, come over studying God's word, discussing. Uh, I've been to Eric's house. He's come over to mine. By the way, Kate, it's always clean before he gets there. <laughs> I even discipled someone letting them give me drum lessons one time for a season. And we were forming a deep relationship with the brother in Christ and, and discussing issues. We went through the book Radical together and uh, sharing life together. I've known this guy for a long time and that's kind of uh, fallen off, but you know, maybe something we'll look back into again. But yeah, I didn't even realize it that we were discipling by him teaching me drums. And I would have to intentionally stop and go, Hey, how was your week? You know, how's that issue you had at work going? You know, what did you get out of radical? Oh, that's good. Yeah. And then he'd come back and teach me because I'm not a very good drummer. But uh, so you can disciple in so many ways, but you just got to be creative. And again, meet people at a way that creates an environment for growth for them. And it can be different for most people. But God will help you discern the right way and the right places in which to do this. He loves you. You're a co-heir of Christ. He holds nothing back from you. Mikey takes guys to work with him on Saturdays. Spends time with them working. Make a little extra cash on the side. And they see what it means to follow Christ by his example. That's pretty creative, Mike. Thank you. Sure, sometimes you do that too, don't you? Breakfast. Here is a a good picture of what discipleship can produce as well. It's a byproduct. The church in Acts 2.42 thrive because of fellowship and discipleship. It was a component of the fertility that led to the multiplication of the early church. This is mind-blowing. Acts 2.42-47 says, They devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching. That's God's word. And to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Those are discipling. And to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, people being saved daily, those who were being saved. Wow. I like to be a part of a community where people are being saved daily. Discipleship was a big part of what we just read there. And here's a quote on the early church in Acts 2 that speaks volumes as well. There was an awe and environment for the miraculous. Many wonders were done by the apostles in the body of Christ. The New Testament church in Acts 2 had unity and interdependence which led to extravagant giving and sharing. Church was not, Eric, a time or a location. But church was looked at by society as a people of God that were present in the context of their community. So church becomes not a time or a place, but a people who are called by his name and marked by his presence, living out as a missional community to those around them. God was glorified, and they had unprecedented favor, and there was the salvation of thousands. Thousands. Get that again. Thousands. Fertility leads to multiplication, and discipleship breeds the grounds for this type of revival, as you can see from the early church in Acts 2. I'd like to see that around here. We kind of start to connect this to the 10 get readies. And you know, we just read that in Acts 2, 42 through 47. God's word daily. Fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Sadly, in America today, a lot of these four essential elements have been pushed to the periphery. We, we can have a, a prayer meeting, right, Alger? A few people show up. If we had an ice cream social, it'd be full. I'm, I'm, what's better, Rocky Road or talking to the Almighty and maybe receiving some downloads that could change your life and maybe bring a wayward son or daughter home? God's presence. So that, that leads, kind of, we're going to land the plane here soon. What are we doing at New Covenant with discipleship? And we, we need everyone here to be discipled and, and to disciple others. We're, we're trying to take discipleship to another level. We're being organized about it. We're recruiting, realizing that a discipling church is a church being equipped connected more relevant to a lost world and inside the church as well. If we're supposed to be raising up radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God and people, then we need to assemble, train, and build an army. This can't be done, though, just on Sunday mornings. No effective army on the advance ever trained one day a week, ever. 
Can you put up the 10 get readies? I want everybody to look again at these 10 get readies. And we've all read this, but just glance at them. And, and we've got excited. And it, it, they're wonderful promises of God. And, and, but we've been saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. But a lot of people say, how? I love promises, but I, I want to see them come to pass. Well, the, how? If, if everyone at New Covenant disciple one person and then started, that person started to disciple another person and it kept on going, we'd need a new building here very soon. And if this spread to every other church in town, and I've been talking to a few, by the way, they want this too. They're trying to, to kick their congregation and get them going. The bars in town would be empty. There'd be stories written about us like that's in the 10 Get Readies. It says we're going to get press. Can you imagine that? They'll start saying, well, they're preaching about Jesus and they had this thing called discipleship and people saw that there was an authenticity about it and people can't stay away from it. And you know what? No one wants to go to the bars anymore. They're, they're boarded up. So really, we're treating discipleship like a command and not a consideration. Again, we're getting more organized and getting everyone plugged in. We want to get everyone plugged into discipleship in all areas of the ministry in this church. Youth, children, young adults, music ministry, small groups being more organized. About, and also when people first get saved. We don't just say, oh, you're saved, good luck, have a great time. No, we want to get them plugged in too and get a mentor for them. Because I have one. Well, if I really love them, then I want them to have one too. Am I really a Christ follower? Then I have to treat people that way. We've even, you know, I've talked to Chris about helping people in, in certain ways too. You guys, you know, can we get people, if they come in with, with a drug problem, can we get them paired up with people? Can Susan and Jeff talk to people that are having marital issues that start to come here or are here already? So we, we want to steward the body of Christ in a fashion that shows that we really are Christ followers, that we love them. We, we want to speak to the lost world in the way that we steward what we have. There's 4.5 billion people worldwide that are lost in the world today. And again, it's not good enough that we're just saved ourselves. We want to produce fruit and inaugurate massive revival back to America and the world again. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Everyone sitting here today, no matter how young or old you are, You've been born for such a time as this. Jesus predestined you, pre-knew you when you were in your mother's womb. King David could have been born at any time. Moses, but they were born at specific times for a purpose. Well, you're here now. As we enter the fourth quarter of the game of humanity on earth in the last days, you're here. Right before the return of Christ, you have been chosen, even over David, 
and Moses and Elijah to be here alive today. That's powerful. These are powerful men. But God put you here today because there's something he put inside of you to usher in his glory right before the return of Christ for a bountiful harvest. So what, what are we going to do with that? I've resorted to no longer make discipleship a consideration, but I'm taking it seriously and making it a command. A lot of you are already discipling, but if you're not, who out there, who wants to disciple? I do. I need it. I've been at trade shows before, running a fever, and he called me every day. And I, you don't have to beg God, but I begged God, give me the strength to get out of bed. I just started this job. I'm at a trade show. God, give me the strength to get to this show. And you know what? Somebody called me to check in on me. They cared. Thank you for calling me when I didn't think I could get out of bed. <laughs> that saved me. We need all of you. Everybody needs disciples and needs to make disciples. Amen. Shelly's doing a great job. Chris is telling me what you're doing. I know what you're up to. <laughs> and it's good. I'm proud of you. You're stewarding a lot of young ladies. You do too, Ashley. Thank you. Taking your time. When you disciple someone, you give them something that money can't buy. At the end of your life, you can't buy more time. So you're giving them something that is more valuable than anything. If you want to get involved with discipleship and you're not right now, come and, and, and see myself, Tom, Eric, or Mike after service. And we'll help you get plugged in to disciple or even if you want to disciple other people if you're further along, you've been discipled. We can help you get plugged into that. We've, we've got a beautiful spreadsheet. We keep track of all of it now. And uh, God's helped us with that. But we'll help you get up and running and growing. Let's end in prayer. Lord, I want to thank you personally for your commands. Lord, because you're a good father. Lord, because your love is supreme. Some see it as radical, but I'm glad it's radical because it's supreme, Lord. The world can't counterfeit it, Lord. And in your commands, there's multifacets of benefits for us because you're a perfect parent, Lord. So, so we thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. We thank you, Lord, that we can turn the tides in this country with authenticity through discipleship. That, that we can show the lost world that they don't have to join a gang. They don't have to be strung out on drugs. They don't have to be lured in by some illusion of giving their love away. Because there's a body of Christ that's real. We have a love that they can't replicate. We're the family of families. A new humanity. We've been marked by you and you made a covenant with us. So Lord, I just pray right now, continue to download in us where you want us to go and how we can work with people on a level that they're at that we work where you work. We just want to thank you. We love you. Your presence has been so sweet tonight. 
We love you and we thank you and we look forward to seeing these 10 get readies come to pass and you have even greater things than those. It's just the beginning. That's just how good you are. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, name above all names, we pray. Amen and amen.